0: This morning is kind of a little different uh, in a way. We've been looking at the way we find pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament. And this morning, our pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament come from the book of Ruth. Now, Ruth is a love story. And it's appropriate for us to look at. It seems to fit into my life well right now. I see that my daughter Sarah and her roommate Elise are here from Baylor today and they're at the age where people's minds start thinking about this stuff perhaps I don't know but I will tell you this weekend Becky and I were in Salt Lake City we went to a wedding and um, it was really really interesting Love is in the air, everywhere I look around. Love is in the air, every sight and every sound. Yeah, love was in the air. Okay, that's our son-in-law and daughter. Yeah, that's the way it works. Son-in-law and daughter. And it was his brother getting married. So they were both in the wedding. Becky and I were just sort of there to to watch and cheer it on, but it just made me appreciate so much uh, love. Love is a marvelous thing. Love is something that not everyone has the pleasure and the benefit of getting to find in this world. David's been preaching about it. It starts with our love for God and his love for us, but sadly, not everybody even gets that. Everybody gets God's love, but they don't, they don't grow in a love for God. And love is very valuable. Um, love, love changes the world. Love changes who we are. And people who are blessed to find it at a young age have an amazing blessing. People who are blessed to find it at an old age have an amazing blessing. Because it's a very powerful thing. And it's something that should be nurtured and loved and appreciated. And I, you get reminded of that when you go to weddings you get reminded of that when you go to movies because most every good movie has some kind of a love story around it and think about the classics think about like rambo (laughs) first blood part two you know it's just think about terminator the terminator movies these these All right, maybe those aren't the best examples, but that's as close as I come to to love stories in a movie. I've been told there are movies about such things, I don't see them. But I can tell you this, love is an amazing reality and an amazing gift. And you get it in the story of Ruth in a marvelous way. So I'm excited to tell you the story, but I want to tell you the story with an eye. I want you to be keeping your eye toward this. In what way does this story preview Jesus Christ? Now, I've got a painting of the story up here. This is Hebrew. And so you read your Hebrew right to left instead of left to right. So chapter 1 is over here. Chapter 2 is right here. Chapter 3 is right there. And chapter 4 is right there. You with me? We're going to tell the story, but we're going to start by reading it for just a moment because the start of it is sort of important. All right, here we go. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. You tracking? When the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. That means no food to speak of. The crops are not growing. The rainfall is not falling. And there's a man of Bethlehem in Judah. And he goes to sojourn or to live temporarily in the country of Moab he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Machlon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judah. Now, this setup is an important setup. It's an important setup because it not only provides the the scene of the action, but if you're reading in Hebrew, it gives you some glimpses into what may be coming. Let me tell you why. First of all, as I tell you probably once a month, so you're probably getting sick of hearing me say it, in Hebrew... In ancient times, the name, same in Greek, by the way, your name wasn't simply a label like it is so much of today. There's Max. His name's Max. He's Max. There's Larry sitting next to Gwen, sitting next to James, sitting next to Helen. These these are names, and they identify people. But back in ancient times, your name was your resume, your, your c v your name was who you were in your essence in your core, it was what you had done it was your reputation it was it was it was your life. so we sang this morning in, in central worship one of my favorite songs about Jesus, the name above all names, and I love this song because of the the it doesn't just try to give magical mysticism to the word Jesus, but it uses name in a real significant sense. He, you have no equal. You have no rival. You have conquered the grave. You have, And it's his CV. It's his resume. It's who he is. It's what he's done. And there's no one whose resume equals the Lord's. His resume is above all resumes. His name is above all names. Now, if you've heard me get on that soapbox, now for the nth time, you know that when we read this story, we ought to try and understand what the names are and what they mean because they're going to give you a glimpse into what's coming. So let's look at the names for a moment and allow me to be your translator. There was a... Famine in the land and a man of Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. There's a famine at the house of bread. Eh, not a good setup. So a man of Bethlehem goes to live temporarily in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. Now the man's name, his Shem, his name, his character, who he was, his essence, his life experience was Elimelech. That means my God is king. This is a holy man. This is a man who worships the Lord God of Israel. This is a man whose God is king. And he goes with his wife, Naomi. Naomi comes from the Hebrew for sweetness or pleasant. So you've got a man whose God is king. He's got a pleasant wife. And they've got two sons. (laughs) Machlon, which means something in the range of sickly and infertile. And Killian. Killian is basically consumptive, Um, sick uh, with like tuberculosis or something like that. Consumption. That sort of tells you these two aren't going to live long, doesn't it? They're Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judah. They go into the country of Moab and they remain there. But Elimelech dies. And Naomi's left with her two sons. The two sons take Moabite wives... The name of one is Orpah. The name of the other is Ruth. They lived there for about 10 years. And then Machlan and Hillian died. So the woman's left without her husband, without her two sons. So she's got to figure out what to do. Naomi decides she's going to go home. And so Naomi says to her daughters-in-law, look. I'm headed back to Bethlehem in Judah. Y'all are still young. You need to stay here, honor your people, find yourselves husbands, and live a life. Well, the two daughters-in-law say, no, 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 we'll go with you. You know, you're on your own. We want to help take care of you. Naomi says, no, seriously. It's not like I'm going to have another son I'm too old to have another son or two sons for you to, to marry. And even if I could, you're going to wait 15, 20 years till they're old enough to marry? Just go home, find yourselves husbands, and I'm going back. So Orpah says, okay, and she goes home. Ruth says, no, I'm staying with you. And one of my Favorite, favorite passages is found in Ruth chapter 1. Naomi says, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said to her, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. There I'll be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. I love that passage. I love it in the English and I love it in the Hebrew. It's worth learning Hebrew just to read that passage in the Hebrew. It's got a rhythm, and it's got a a feel, and, and it's got a sound that's just gorgeous. So I wanted to play you that song in Hebrew, but I don't have a good recording of that song in Hebrew. I do, however, if we go back to the PowerPoint, have a good recording of that song in English by a Jewish fella. A guy named Joel Chernov. In fact, Rick Meadow and I get his daily noshes, his daily devotionals uh, uh, in the e- in, uh, on the Internet. And uh, I would urge you to do it. He, he's just a marvelous Messianic Jewish believer in Philadelphia. And in the 70s, he had a group. Actually, in the 60s, he had a group that some of you would remember, maybe. Um, they were called the Lemon... Pipers or something like that. They had that song, My Green Tambourine. Just listen while I play, hey, 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 My Green Tambourine. All right, that was him. He he, uh, becomes a Christian and a a Christian Jew, and he um, uh, had a little group called Lamb in the 70s. And so you can get a CD of Lamb's favorites. Here is the Song of Ruth that gives you kind of a Jewish feel for it. It's a beautiful psalm. Let's see if it'll play and if I can get this. God is my God, do not ever urge me to go or desert your side. the marvelous marvelous story and and so with that song Ruth returns and she goes back now if we go back let me flip slides backwards it's going to take just a second cuz i put that in there without thinking i would do this if we go back we're now through chapter 1 and so chapter 1 is Ruth basically saying I'm coming with you. And she embraces the God of Israel. Your God is my God. Your people are my people. And she goes back. Now, Israel had a a legal system. They had one of the first social security systems we know about. God set it up through Moses. God said... When you're gleaning in your fields, when you're harvesting, don't harvest all the way to the edge. Let the widows and the orphans and the immigrants take that. And if you're harvesting and you miss a spot or you drop something, don't pick it up. Don't go back and get it. Let the people who need it come behind you and get it. And that's the law. And so the law is in place. And Naomi tells Ruth, well, actually it was Ruth's idea. Ruth said, I'm going to go get us some food. The famine is now past, and it was time for the barley harvest. And so she says, I'm going to go get us some food. And she goes and she starts gathering around the edges and what may have been dropped. And she makes it to the field of a fellow named Boaz. Boaz comes from the Hebrew. In in him is strength. He's a strong guy. And she goes to the field of Boaz. And Boaz just happens to be a close relative of Elimelech, her dead father-in-law. So she's working in the fields. Boaz goes out to his fields to check the harvest and to see how things are going. He's fairly well to do. He's not out there harvesting it himself. He's got laborers who are doing that. But he goes to watch them. And he sees Ruth harvesting. So he calls over one of his head honchos. And he says, um... Who is she? And the guy says, well, um, that's that Moabite gal. That's the daughter-in-law of Naomi. He says, yeah, I've heard about her. And the, 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 the laborer, the head honcho guy says, she's a hard worker. She's been there since we started. And she's only taken one small break. This like she's 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 out she's doing it man and so he says to the head honcho he says okay um, I want to talk to her um, um, and and uh, bring her over so Ruth comes over to Boaz and Boaz an older fellow you get the impression from the story Boaz says to her says you know I've heard about you I've heard of the way you are taking care of Naomi Uh, you know she was married to my my kin probably his brother Um, appreciate what you're doing Um, uh, and I want you when you're harvesting I want you to stay close to my ladies stay close to the women that I have out there working because I don't want men to accost you or abuse you and he gets the word out that she's under his protection So she goes back out. He has lunch. He lets her eat some lunch, too. Sends her back out there. And then he calls back over his guys. And he says, look, like, leave some extra for her. Okay? Just, like, pull some out of your harvest bag. Kind of right in front of her. Kind of, like, lay it down there. Whoops! I dropped it. Oh, under the law. I can't get it. I guess you'll have to. Wink, wink, wink. So she's, she's reeling in the ears. <laughs> she's getting, sorry, Steely Dan, you know, reeling in the ears, reeling in the ears. See, I'm in music mode right now. She's reeling in the ears um, of or the barley. And, and at the end of the day, she's got somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds Of barley now that's a trip to the grocery store she takes it home and Naomi says holy smoke what happened she says well I just landed in the field of this fella named Boaz and it was like payday I mean it's just it all worked and Naomi says oh praise the Lord Now, Naomi, when she had first gotten there, the the people in the village, in the area, they had said to her, oh, Naomi. And she says, don't call me that anymore. Because they were saying, oh, sweetness and pleasantness. And she was like, no, call me Mara, which means bitter. She says, God has just dealt with me very bitterly. My my lot has has turned. I'm not the happy-go-lucky Naomi that left. But Naomi starts to see the change here. And she sees that God is blessing her. And so she says, and and we're, by the way, through chapter 2 with Naomi. And she reels into chapter 3 with the following. She says, listen. Tonight they're going to be winnowing the harvest. That's where they take the, the, the barley and they put it on a flat threshing floor that's pretty dry. And they've got these winnowing forks and they'll stomp on it some. And then as the evening breeze comes in, they'll throw the, the barley up and the chaff gets blown away. But the nuggets of the grain fall back down. So it's the way they, they, they uh, commercialized in a sense. Made edible what they had. So she said that's going to be happening this evening. So I want you to wait. And I want you to go there in the dead of night. Because they'll sleep there on the floor. And when you go there you find Boaz. And you lay down at his feet. And uncover his feet. Now the Hebrew there is written on a PG-13 level. But there seems to be some suggestion perhaps that she would make it real clear that she was not just another worker. She didn't do anything untoward. But, but it, was, it was a suggestive showing of interest, if you will. We could call it flirtation if nothing else. So she goes and meanwhile Boaz has had a great meal. He had some good wine and he falls asleep with a smile on his face in a good mood. That's what the Hebrew says. About midnight, she uncovers his feet. He wakes up he doesn't turn on the light they didn't have that ability he doesn't take his cell phone turn on the flashlight who is it it's dark he's got no clue he wants to know who's down at his feet that's bothered to move the the blankets enough to make herself known and interested in him. I mean, you don't just go uncover someone's feet. So she says, um, he says, who is it? She says, it's me, Ruth. Would you spread your wings over me? And again, that's a euphemism of sorts. What it means is basically, would you take me as your wife? I, in a sense, she proposes to him. I mean, it's like Becky, except <laughs> I propose to her. <laughs> so she's there at his feet in chapter 3. And he says, blessed are you. You could have gone after some handsome young fella. Whether rich or poor. But instead you're interested in me? She says, you're my goel. You're my redeemer. You are a relative who can step into the shoes. You can buy back Elimelech and Machlan and Kilian's fields. But you can also take me under the law of Leverite marriage. And so he says, okay, here's the deal. Yes, I'm a redeemer. Yeah, this sounds really good. I'm here. He says, but there is one redeemer who's closer in line than me. So I got I to gotta make sure that he says El Paso. He spoke Spanish, (laughs) and um, I got to make sure he passes, and then I got it. So she stays there until it's going to start getting light, and then she hightails it back. Before she leaves, he gives her a bunch of the good stuff that that they've been harvesting and winnowing, and she takes it back. Naomi, of course, is dying to hear, so what happened? How did it go? Because she's the one who told Ruth how to pull this off. Ruth says, well, here's what I did. I did just what you told me to, and I uncovered his feet at midnight, and he woke up, and, and, and he wanted to know who it was, and I told him, and, and he said that he would, that there was one closer than, than him, but, but if that didn't work, then uh, if he could get that guy out of the way, then he would do it, and, and then he gave me, he gave me this, this food to bring back to you. Naomi, this is not her first rodeo. She has been around the block. She knows the way of men. She says to Ruth, she says, he's gonna get this done today. Look, I'm not making this up. That's exactly what it says. I'm I'm, I'm put it up here. I'll show you. When she went to her mother-in-law, her mother-in-law said, How did you fare, my daughter? She told her all the man had done, saying these six measures of barley he gave to me. He said, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Naomi said, wait, my daughter. Just hang on until you learn how the matter turns out, because he ain't going to rest. He will settle that matter today. (laughs) It's in the text. I can't argue the text. So... Being the shrewd judge of character that Naomi was, the story turns out exactly the way Naomi suspected. Boaz goes to the city gates. Now, Bethlehem's a small village, so it's a small village gate. But that's where they transacted business. So he goes to the gate and he waits for the guy who's next in line. He says to the guy that's next in line, when he comes up, he says, hey, time out. We've got a redemption opportunity, an opportunity to be the kinsman redeemer. And um, I'm willing to do it, but you're closer than I, so you get the first dibs. It basically would mean you get to buy the fields of Elimelech, Machlon, and Chilion. The guy says, yeah, I'll do that. Then Boaz lowers the boom. He says, Oh, yeah, and by the way, they've got this Moabite widow, and you have to marry her too, because you've got to make sure that she produces offspring so that it stays in the family. Guy says, Well, I can't do that. That's going to, do you realize what my family would do to me if I said, Oh, hey, look, I just bought a Moabite daughter? I mean, wife? So, boy, I says, what I'm hearing from you is El Paso. <laughs> the guy said, you got that right, man. That's nothing but trouble for me to bring home some Ruth. If any of y'all were here, when Dale Hearn taught the Old Testament series, he taught the class on Ruth, and I was looking at his slideshow. He had a baby Ruth candy bar. <laughs> I really liked that, Dale. I almost copied it. <laughs> baby Ruth. Said, I bring home old Babe Ruth. It ain't gonna work. So, sure enough, uh, as we get to chapter four, um, go back to the PowerPoint. As we get to chapter four, uh, Boaz acts as kinsman redeemer. And he not only buys fields, but he marries Ruth. And they have a child. And the child's name is Ovid. And the child is taken care of by Naomi. And so the woman who had lost her husband, who had lost her sons, has now this little grandbaby to take care of. And it's a marvelous story. And before the story ends, they tell us that Obed grows up and becomes the dad of a fellow named Jesse. And that Jesse grows up and becomes the dad of a shepherd boy named David, who becomes the king of David uh, of Israel that we all know, King David. So it's an incredible story, as we meet the great grandmother of King David, and it's a marvelous love story. Now we've got to get through. I've got to cut through these slides real quick because I don't want the song to play. Da 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 da. Here's what I want to do now. I want to talk about three ways that this tells the story of Jesus. And you have to be careful about this because you can tend to read things into things. And I don't want to do that. I want to be fair with the text. But I think these are three ways that we can fairly deal with the text. The first is the love story. The love story is a story about people who are hungry. They're living in a famine They're living without the sustenance for life. And they're having to wander around to look for it. And they go to a foreign country, but there, for Naomi, it seems to be a dead end. She loses her husband. She loses her sons. She's not with her family, except for these two daughters-in-law. And so you've got a situation where... This, this is, is, is really bad. It's miserable. Her life is a challenge. Her life is, is, is... Who wants to get up in the morning to that? It seems a dead end. She decides, well, God's famine is over and maybe I can go back. Because where she is is fruitless so she goes back and in the story a loving redeemer sets in to make things right and secure for her a brilliant future I love that because the entire story of Scripture to me is the story of a love the love that God has for us It is a love story that tells of our Redeemer who takes the dead-end life that we have, a life of famine, a life of of dryness, a life of, of no fruit, of no joy. And he steps in to redeem us, to buy us back, to give us life. And that is the story of Jesus now some people say well my life's not barren I don't have this Jesus but hey I'm doing pretty good I got money I got food I got fame one of the reasons scripture says that fame and fortune and pleasure and things like that are impediments to finding the Lord is because it deceives you into thinking that your life's not barren but it is. Pastor David talked out to talk today about, uh, he referenced uh, Augustine, who talked about us having a God shaped hole in our heart because we were made to be in a relationship with God. I take it, a, 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 I add a little more science to it than Augustine had. I think it's a God shaped vacuum. It's not just a hole. It's sucking in things to fill it because it needs to be filled. And some people will get some money or they'll get some fame or they'll get love of a person. And they'll that'll suck in to fill that God-shaped hole and they'll think, okay, this is a good life. This is okay. But it's not. I promise you it's not I promise you those people will wake up one day or one night and say is this all there is they'll work themselves to death and at the end they'll say is this it because that God-shaped vacuum is just like those little kid toys you've seen the little kid toys that have the square and you get the square peg and the circle and you get the the round one and you get the triangle and you see the little kid trying to get that triangle in the square or in the circle and you just want to say no 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 it's over there this is a God-shaped hole but the love story is there is a Redeemer who came to buy us back from the dryness of sin the dryness of judgment the dryness and famine of isolation From Bethlehem came this one to feed us with the riches of God's love and it's a love story and if we don't see that in this story we're missing something tremendously so we're gonna throw in our points for home as we go through these three parallels to the life of Jesus I want to take this one from 1st John three sixteen. by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers in other words Jesus loved us and because of that we love him we love each other it's changed the way we live it's changed the way we see the world. This is a compelling love story that, that, that not only is one that we can watch and listen to and say, oh, that's really nice and sweet and touching. But it should change us when we realize the love story is about us. When we realize that God is doing this for us, we will live as a loved people. And when we do that, it changes everything. second parallel that I see that I want to talk about God's provident hand providence may be a strange word for some of you providence means something it, it, it comes from the same root as the word provide providence is God's way of providing in the future that's already done ahead of time you are here by the providence of God the providence of God put you in a country where you are free to come worship anywhere you want the providence of God has put you here where there is a a fellowship of people who have bonded together in the love of Jesus And figured out how to combine resources in such a way that we have a building with a roof on top with air conditioning. We have church leadership and structure who can spend all of their time 24-7 ministering and making sure that this church is put together and running right and seeking the will of God. That's all in God's providence. But it goes deeper than that. The message is one that God is always in control. Now think about it. This story started out with a famine in the house of bread. This story started out with a man who's a godly man. Eli Melech, God is my king. Who's given two sickly sons. One named Sickly and the other one named Tuberculosis. And they do their best. But they don't live too long. And you can be bitter. And you can say, God, why have you let this happen this way? This was never in my plan. It's not right. There's a... In, in, in Zen Buddhism, there is a story. It's a very wise story. There is a Zen Buddhist monk, and this is back in a time and in an age where the monks would go from town to town, and they would just go to a house randomly and offer to, uh, ask to stay in the house. And if the person who kept the house uh, uh, provided them a polite stay and was good to them, the Zen monk would leave the next day and pronounce a blessing on the house if the person the zen monk arrives and he's treated poorly or shabbily then he would curse the house so the zen monk goes to a house in a village says i'd like to stay the night the 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 home they put out the very best for him they offered him the best of their food the best of the room the best of everything the next morning he's leaving and they're expecting a blessing and they're standing at the doorway of the couple and the zen monk says to them he says may your father die may you die may your children die and the couple are beside themselves they're furious they're about to waylay into him how dare you we gave you the best and this is the curse the zen monk said that that wasn't a curse that was a blessing i mean everybody's going to die i asked that your father die first and then you and then your children if I had urged that your children die before you that would not be a blessing that would be a curse no parent should have to bury their children there's a wisdom in that it is not a good thing for Ruth I mean Naomi to not only have to bury her husband but to bury two children I can't relate to that My spouse is living. My five children are living. And heaven help me if I ever say to anybody who's been through that, I know how you feel. I don't. I can imagine that you feel that I am bitter. Don't call me nice now like Naomi. But I I, I don't know. But I can tell you this. If Machlon doesn't die, if Elimelech doesn't die, if Killian doesn't die, Naomi doesn't come back, Naomi doesn't bring Ruth, if Ruth's not faithful in her love, she doesn't come back, and if she doesn't come back, there's no Obed, there's no Jesse, there's no King David, there's no Jesus through the line of Joseph. That's God's providence. That's, God is always in control. Even when the facts and the circumstances leave us embittered. Don't lose sight of that. Don't lose sight of what... Micah two. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephratah, Remember the, the start of the Ruth story? It said they were from Bethlehem. They were Ephratites. That was Bethlehem Ephrathah. They had several towns named after bakeries. (laughs) But this is that Bethlehem. It's the same place. But for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. For unto you is born this day in the village of Bethlehem, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the Messiah, Yeshua Mashiach. This is the birthplace of Jesus. This is the story of Jesus. But that can't happen except in the flow of this which had bitterness in it. So whatever you're going through, please, 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 in faith, look beyond your present difficulties. I haven't had a fun week. But my faith calls me to look beyond my difficulties we've got confidence of what Paul said to the Romans we've got confidence that all things will work together for the good for those who love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose it may not be the way I would write it but I'm not the God who's responsible for the end I worship him I follow him and I want you to join me in that final point Boaz the kinsman redeemer Boaz the man of strength as his name says he was a generous man he was a giving man he protected and nurtured the widow Ruth he protected and nurtured Naomi, the widow, sending back food. You can't go back empty handed. He was loving and he was kind. He made it real clear before he redeemed Ruth that, that you, you, you read it obliquely in the language. When he says, Blessed are you that you haven't chosen another man, a young fella. What he's saying there is, Think twice, my dear you can probably do a lot better than me. You can get someone young who's going to live out their days with you. It doesn't have to be some poor fellow. You can get a rich young guy. You're a good looking woman. You're a hard worker. You're godly. You're a dream catch. What do you want to do with some old fool like me? And she says, you're the one. Would you spread your wings over me? See, he was loving and kind. He was compassionate. And most importantly, as we see what he did, he was a covenant keeper. He was a covenant keeper who changed history through justice and mercy. He let the other man have his shot, but he stepped in and did what was right. And through justice and mercy, history is, is totally changed. Now, that is the Redeemer that we have in Jesus. Jesus is a man of strength. Jesus is generous in giving. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Jesus so loved the world that He came. Don't lose track of what Paul says in Philippians 2, 6 and 8. He's telling the Philippians, you have the same attitude that was in Jesus. And look what he says about Jesus. He says, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and he took the form of a slave. He was born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself to humans. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I mean, that's Jesus. Jesus is the one who is in, in redeeming us, is showing himself to be a man of strength, generous, giving, protecting, nurturing, loving. Greater love has no man than to lay down his life for his friends. Kind, compassionate, let the children come to me. Looking out for the outcast, lifting up the lowly, keeping God's covenant promise, and changing history, changing eternity through His justice and His mercy. And that's what we have. So, the point for home for me. Because you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Paul says, because of that, you need to let everybody know it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm going to tell you before we part, Jesus Christ God incarnate loved us so much that on this little dirt clod in outer space going around this sun that's not even the noblest of all the suns with billions of people over the history of this dirt clod smaller in the eyes of God than a microbe is to you or me. And he says, I'm going to become like a microbe and let those others feed off me and jump all over me and kill me because I care that much for all of these. That's his love. That's his redemption. And that's what changes eternity for everyone who says, thank you, Lord, I rest in your I'm excited to share with you next week. We're going to talk about the temple and the construction of the temple. But meanwhile, let me bless you in the name of Jesus. And be sure and watch the Rockets at 2.30. Lord, we do enjoy this life that you've given us. It's got ups and downs, Father. And I know in a room this size and with the audience on the internet and, and other places... That we're all over that spectrum right now. Surfing on the highest, grandest wave of joy. or found deep in a valley of despair. Thank you, Lord, that you are in both places and all points in between. Would you instill within all of us a deep, firm, well-grounded confidence in your provident care, in your tender, loving kindness as we await the day of final redemption. I pray these things in the name of your Son as a blessing upon all. Amen.